Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. Sake of those that wonder, how can it be that God loved Jerusalem and Jerusalem didn't love back? Let's look at Jeremiah chapter two, and we're going to Jeremiah chapter two, and we're actually going to look at verse two. And I'm going to ask Rev Kev if we can have a mic, and Rev Kev will help us read tonight. But we're going to ask Holy Spirit that these would be your words and not mine, that you would give fluency and clarity to everyone who is here tonight and pour out your spirit in abundance for Jesus sake. Amen. So we're looking at Jeremiah chapter two, verse two, and let us look, beloved saints. This is the words of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is the prophet of Tishabov. Can you say that with me? Jeremiah, Jeremiah. is the prophet of Tishabov. Okay, so he is the one who actually was chosen before he was ever born to have a 40-year career. God told him he could not marry. He was not allowed to marry because any persons who bore children, they were going to see their children killed with the sword. So God forbade him to be married because the marriages that were going to take place, their children were going to die horrible deaths because the Babylonians were going to come in and destroy the city. So his mission was to prevent it, and it could have been prevented, or else God would not have raised him up. God did not ordain that Jerusalem be destroyed, but he knew it would. But he raised up, he gave every remedy possible that it would not happen. And even the signs, Jeremiah prophesied the Babylonians are coming. And actually, these were political alliances that the Jews had made with other nations that they put their strength in. They put their strength in the king of Egypt. They put their strength in Pharaoh. They put their hope that Pharaoh, this is hundreds of years after they left Egypt, they put their hope that the king of Egypt would be joining together with their armies and be able to raise up a front against the Babylonians because Egypt was a very powerful world power at the time. And Jerusalem and the kings had very close uh, relationships with the king of Egypt. And so therefore they felt, we don't need to listen to Jeremiah. This is nonsense. We have our strength in the king of Egypt. But you know what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 30? Isaiah was the prophet of pre-destruction. Say this with me. Jeremiah was the prophet of destruction. But Isaiah was the prophet of pre-destruction. So in other words, 
Jeremiah's entire prophecy is a prophecy geared toward the destruction, but the comfort that God was going to give after the destruction. He also was a prophet of consolation. Jeremiah was a prophet of desolation. Both of these prophets, their mission was to save Jerusalem from the burning. Do you all understand? It was to save Jerusalem from this Tisha B'av. Why? Because this burning meant the end of the state of Israel, end of the story, until 1948. It meant thousands of years Jews would be ruled over by foreign kings and foreign political powers. They would never be allowed to be sovereign in the land again until 1948, according to biblical prophecy. So these prophets were sent not just to warn, but to do everything to prevent but Isaiah's prophecy was one that not only was one of predestruction, but one of promise. Promise to Jerusalem that though it would be destroyed, it would be rebuilt again. Though it was emptied out of inhabitants, it would be filled again with children laughing in the streets and God giving Zion back hope. This was a promise that God would rebuild the ruins. And Jeremiah also promised return, recovery, restoration, and divine compensation. All of the prophets. Now, Ezekiel also was a prophet that also had a, a very powerful role in this prevention, if you will. But he was taken captive. He was taken as a captive to Babylon. But he is the prophet that tells us about the signs in the temple that were also deported. So we have deported. We have what? We have all the vessels deported to Babylon. We have all the inhabitants deported to Babylon. We also have the spiritual signs that lifted off the temple. The holy fire went into exile. The clouds of glory went into exile and never returned. The breastplate, which was a prophetic uh, attachment to the ephod of the high priest in his garments were never, the breastplate was never returned in the rebuilding of the ruins of Zion. So we have some entities that are supernatural that were not restored in the second temple era. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. These are very important for us to know. So let us look and see how God used Jeremiah. Jeremiah is pleading with them. He is pleading on behalf of God, weeping that they will not uh, make the decision to turn away from God. Uh, read that for us, Rev. Kev. Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thy espousals, when thou wentest after me into the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the first fruits of his increase, all that devoured him shall offend, evil shall come upon him, saith the Lord. Okay, good. All right, let's go back to verse 2. Jeremiah has this burden from God saying, go and cry in the ears of Yerushalayim. 
both Jeremiah was a prophet to Jerusalem, Isaiah was a prophet to Jerusalem, Micah was a prophet to Jerusalem. We must understand, Hosea was a prophet to Israel, the northern kingdom, and Amos was a prophet to the northern kingdom, but Joel was a prophet to Jerusalem. And we see Daniel was not a prophet that left, but he was an intercessor for Jerusalem. Are you understanding? Okay, and Ezekiel was a prophet that saw the visions spiritually that's going to happen to Jerusalem in the exile. Are you all with me? If you are, say amen. Amen. So that we understand the ones that we call major prophets are all chosen to be prophets to where? To Jerusalem, to Zion. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. And they are pro their prophecies are all surrounded around Tishabah. Do you all understand to prevent it? All right. So now we see, go cry in the ears of Jerusalem and say, thus saith the Lord, I remember the hesed of your youth. The, um, the love of your espousals. What is that about? That is about when Israel came out of Egypt and at Mount Sinai, the Lord made a marital covenant with that nation. All right, he betrothed that nation unto him. And so the relationship that God had with Israel is one of a marital relationship. Being married in the sense of covenant, being married in the sense of faithfulness, being married in the sense of always uh, defending in judgment and in righteousness, in mercy. Let us look at Hosea chapter 2, verse 9, so we can understand the love he has for his people. Notice, I remember the love of your espousals when you went after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. Um, continue and as we go to Hosea, but I want them to see this. In a land that was not sown. Go back up to verse 2. Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, I remember the hesed of your youth and the ahava of your espousals. Two Hebrew words for love. The first one, kindness, also translates as hesed. Hesed is the word that comes from the Hebrew word ha root hasad, which means the fire you had to serve me. And when you loved me with that deep love as a people, I remember the kindness of your youth in the love, in the ahava of your espousals. Ahava is another Hebrew word for love. So we have hesed, which is an action word for love and demonstrates the burning desire for God. And ahava is taken from the root word ahav, which means to give. So we understand that the two ways of love in the Hebrew language, one is through action, which is hesed, which involves hasad, which is burning desire. That means I love, I have zeal, I, have, uh, I do this because I'm burning in love for God. So I'm not just serving out of mechanical emotion. I'm not serving because I'm afraid God's going to wipe me out if I don't. I am serving because I'm burning love for God. Do you all understand? It's action. Yes. All right. 
And I remember, notice, the ahava of your espousal. Ahava is the word with the root ahav. Can you say this with me? Ahav. Ahav. Ahav means to give. Say it with me. Ahav means to give. So that means if we love God, what are the reactions going to be? We're going to be burning desire to do his will, to love him, to be, to serve him in action. And secondly, this emotion to give. Do you see that? Ahava to give. Say it with me. Ahava to give. The ahava of your espousals. You went after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. What does that mean? It means you trusted me for everything. You couldn't even sow or reap because what can you plant in the desert? You couldn't even plant crops, but I was there. And from the love relationship, you got manna every day. And from the love relationship, you were protected in the wilderness. From the love relationship, nothing was withheld from you. I remember that, the Lord says. You see, God is telling us your service to him is precious. God is telling us through this that he loves and cherishes your acts of service to God and he cherishes it. Hello, somebody. Say this with me. The God that I serve cherishes acts of service and all the acts of love that I give to him. Say this with me, Lord, so often I do not realize how you cherish what I do for you. I overlook it because, Lord, I love you so much. I don't even consider it. But you do. And I thank you for doing it, Lord. I thank you that you see my heart. I thank you that you cherish every act of love. I thank you that you cherish how I serve you. I thank you, Lord. Come on, give him praise and thanks. Hallelujah. And say this with me. I don't want anything to contaminate that. I want to serve him with purity of heart and with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with everything within me, I want to love him. Can you say that? Hallelujah. All right. <clears throat> Can you imagine God making himself so vulnerable to say, I remember, please just plead with the people. Tell them I'm desperate. I'm a God who loves them so desperately. I remember this. Don't break my heart. I remember this. I remember that you do have the capability to love me. I do remember you have the capability to trust me for everything. I do remember when you served me and loved me above all things. I remember. I remember. Hallelujah. He remembers. 
in this very moment, before we go to the next moment, let us renew that with the Lord right now. Let us renew it with the Lord right now. Renew that love. Renew it this very moment. Going to Hosea chapter 2, verse 19. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 19. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I will betroth you to me forever. This is Hosea speaking to Israel. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in judgment, in loving kindness and in tender mercies. Hallelujah. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, God expressed his love so much. You see, the prophets were demonstrators, especially the latter prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea was one of the latter prophets. Their prophecies were not like Elijah. Elijah could call down fire. The latter prophets did not. Their prophecies were demonstrations. Samuel could take a horn of oil and prophesy the next king. Elisha could ask the Lord to open the eyes of his servant and he could see angels everywhere surrounding his house. Elisha could put salt in a contaminated pool of water and make it cleansed. Those were the early prophets. But the latter prophets were demonstrators. So God told Hosea, go and marry a harlot. Marry a woman you know is not going to be faithful to you and love her. And Hosea did what God told him to do. He married her. He purchased her. He gave her everything. And she betrayed him. And Hosea then felt the very feelings of God toward Israel because Israel was in that condition that betrayed God who had married this nation and they betrayed, betrayed him. Are you with me? And Hosea kept redeeming and kept saving. Gomer was her name. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. So this is where his prophecy came. I will betroth you unto me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Hallelujah. So do we understand God's love for his people? We understand Tisha B'Av is about the love of God. Amen. If you're with me, say amen. So you may say, how do we experience now, what does dish above mean for us? All right, we have seen that in the destruction, the, the temples were destroyed in both, both uh, exiles. The first exile in the Babylonian exile and in the exile of when the Romans destroyed the city and burnt on the same day hundreds of years later. The exile was an exile of the 
vessels that were in the temple. In the first exile, they were all returned, except the Ark of the Covenant was never found. The breastplate on the high priest's garments, the breastplate was never returned. A second one had to be made. And the glory of God never returned, the visible glory. And the holy fire was never manifested again. It left. But in the time of Messiah, the holy fire returns. In the time of Messiah, the glory of God returns. And in the time of Messiah, we have access to the holy of holies because the veil is split and we go into the temple, the tabernacle, the holy of holies, where the ark of the covenant is. Are you with me? And in the time of Messiah, we have access to the breastplate. Now, I want you to go with me to the book of Exodus because I'm going to teach you for a moment tonight about the return of the glory. Because tonight in Tisha B'Av, the glory is going to return back. We're going to be able to experience the glory of God. God wants the glory back in our lives. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. We're looking at Exodus chapter uh, 40. Parsha Pekudi. Say it. Parsha Pekudi. You know, Exodus is really special because... Every person here, if you know your time you were born, of course you do, your birthday, you can look up what week was the weekly parsha of your birth. Okay, what was the Torah portion read in that year? And that helps you understand a little bit about your destiny. Okay, because it's written there in the Torah. Okay, and there's a connectedness there in God's word. You know, you were born at that time. God allowed it that week of the Torah portion. And so uh, it's really awesome. It's really awesome, isn't it? Yes, it is. So it's awesome to find out what was the Torah portion when you were born. Okay. I won't tell you mine. You have to look it up. <laughs> Okay, but it is near this, but it's not quite this one, all right? But it's very near to all the tabernacle and the anointing of the tabernacle. Hallelujah. Very excited about it. Amen. All right. Exodus chapter 40. We're going to look at verse 33, the last line. Beloved, beloved husband here tonight. Let's give Papa the interrupt to say we love you. Say something to everyone, my beloved. I love you, my brothers and sisters, and I thank you for coming. We're all together. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, beloved saints. Verse 33, last line. So Moses finished the work. 
looking at verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But the cloud, look at verse 37. But if the cloud was not taken up, they were not, they journeyed not till the day it was taken up. Verse 38. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day. Fire uh, was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout their journeys. Now, beloved saints, this is the end of the book of Exodus. So why does the Torah end the book of Exodus with the glory of God coming over the tabernacle? Say this with me, because the purpose of the Exodus was for the glory of God to come on the tabernacle. Say this with me. The whole purpose of the Exodus was the glory to come upon Israel. Say this with me. When the glory descends, exile ends. So the exile didn't end until the glory descended upon Israel. Do you understand that? All right. Now, I want you to understand about the glory. It's so important that you understand principles about the glory. Number one, I'll give you a, a brief background to the book of Exodus. Chapters 1 through 14 is the slavery narrative, the Pharaoh narrative, and the Exodus. Say it with me. Slavery narrative, Pharaoh narrative, and the Exodus. Chapters 1 through 14. Then in chapter 15, you go through the Red Sea and you have the beginning of the desert experience till Mount Sinai. You have chapters 15 through 19, which are the seven weeks when they leave Mitzrayim and you have the beginning of the desert experience, the battle with Amalek, and then you have Mount Sinai beginning in chapter 19. I'm going somewhere with this. Say with me. The beginning of the desert experience the seven weeks. Okay, then we have Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 19 till Exodus 24. We have the experience of Mount Sinai and the commandments of God that are entrusted to Israel through Moses. Okay, then we have from chapter 25 to chapter 40, only with a brief interruption with the sin of the golden calf, but the rest of Exodus is on the tabernacle. Do y'all understand that? Yeah. Say this with me, a lot of emphasis on the tabernacle. <laughs> I want you to understand the emphasis on the tabernacle gets as much space as the, the slavery narrative and coming out of Egypt. Wouldn't it just be easier to say they built a tabernacle in the wilderness, but not God commanded Moses to write down every aspect of the tabernacle, how it was to be made. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Amen. 
Okay, so God is concerned about the construction of the tabernacle and everything in it. In the book of Exodus, we get nothing about service in the tabernacle. There's no one serving in the tabernacle in Exodus, not one person. We don't get Aaron serving. We don't get Moses serving. We don't get the priests serving. We get that in Leviticus. Okay, so what do we get about the tabernacle in Exodus? We get the directions on how everything is to be made. There's a reason behind this. All right, say how everything is to be made. How everything is to be made. Documented details on every item that is to go in the tabernacle. Say this with me. It wasn't written so we know it happened. It wasn't written to inform us. It was written to teach us spiritual truths that will last forever. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Okay. So let's look at Exodus 25. And we're going to look at verses 8 and 9. And here we're going to understand what the glory is. First of all, if we go back and we're staying in Exodus 25, 8 and 9, but I want to reiterate a moment about the clouds of glory. Notice they did not journey without the clouds leading them. When the cloud moved, they moved. When the cloud stopped, they could not journey. Say this with me. I do not want to move without the cloud of glory leading me. Say this with me. When the cloud stops, I want to stop. When the cloud goes, I want to follow the holy cloud. Say this with me. I'm anointed to follow the cloud. That is my destiny, to follow the cloud. Because if I get out from under the cloud, I'm sunk. Can you imagine if the cloud moved and they decided to stay? Do you realize their whole entire existence depended on being under the cloud? Okay, their shoes did not wear out for 40 years. The clouds sustained them. Manna came down from heaven because of the cloud. Water came out of the rock because of the cloud. Hello? I said, the protection at night from the cold was because of the fire that the cloud became. And also, the cloud was designed for the rest of the healing they needed to come out of Egypt. Because you can come out of Egypt, but Egypt's got to come out of you. And so the only way that Egypt could come out of them was by abiding in the cloud. You cannot come out of bondage without the glory of God. God wants to fill you with that glory in order to come out of your bondage. Are you hearing this, saints? Do you understand? Okay. So let's look. The Bible says, verse 8, and let them make me a mikdash, verse 8. 
Let them make me a sanctuary, a mikdash. Say it with me. Let them make me a sanctuary. Let them make me a mikdash that I might dwell among them. Who's going to make it? Israel. They're going to make it for God that he might dwell among them. So what is a mikdash? Let's look at the next verse. According to all that I show you after the pattern of the mishkan, the tabernacle, and all the pattern of the instruments thereof, so shall you make it. So let's explain the difference between the mikdash and the mishkan. Say this with me. The mikdash is the sanctuary. And the mishkan is the whole tabernacle. Okay, so what's the difference? Let's look at the Hebrew word mikdash. Say it with me, mikdash. Okay, every Hebrew word has a concept behind it. So it tells us the meaning of that word and what it does and why it's in the word. The word mikdash, notice how it ends. Mikdash, okay? So it has the kdash. Say it, kdash. What else sounds like kadash? Kadosh and kadash, doesn't it? What is kadosh? Kadosh means it's separated unto God. Kadash means to make it holy. Hello, are you with me? So that means the outer court is not the mikdash. The outer court is where the sacrifices are, and it's where everybody congregates. But it's not mikdash. It's mishkan. Okay? But it's not the mikdash. It's not separated. Because everything in the mikdash is going to be separated unto God because it's holy. So God is saying not everything is the same. Not all the environment is the same. Even the outer court environment does not have the same kadusha as the inner court environment. Not every environment is the same. Okay, are you learning something? Hallelujah. Okay, the word mishkan is a very important word. It includes the whole tabernacle. It's a rectangular shape. And it includes the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies. It includes everything. The word mishkan has a suffix. Shakan, say it with me. Shakan. Shakan means to dwell. Doesn't that sound like a familiar word? Shakan. Where have you heard the word shakan before? And where are we acquainted with shakan? The rabbis developed a term related to shakan where we get the term shekinah. Shekinah. Say it with me. Shekinah. So to dwell means to dwell in the Shekinah. When you're dwelling, you are in the presence of the Shekinah. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. All right. So the word Shekinah was developed by the sages to express 
when Israel dwelt in their tents, they were in the presence of the Shekinah. And that the Mishkan was created for the purpose of the Shekinah. Say, that's the purpose of the Mishkan. For the glory to cover it. The purpose of the Mishkan is to dwell in the presence of God. So why do we congregate? Why do we come together? We don't come together for a social club. We come together to dwell in the Shekinah of God. Are you with me, saints? If you are, say amen. amen. Okay. So we have this word Mishkan. We have Shakan. We have Mikdash. And we have Kadash, Kadosh, to separate it. Now, we also have another word, and we're going to use a little method here, okay? We are going to use one of the hermeneutical rules from this rabbi. He has a very beautiful name, but it's long. A lot of rabbis have long names. <laughs> this one is Rabbi Eleazar Jose Ha-Galili. That's a long name, isn't it? Jose, rabbi, rabbi sometimes referred to as Rabbi Jose, and sometimes he's referred to as Rabbi Eleazar. Rabbi Eleazar Jose Hagalili, meaning he's from Galilee, Hagalili. Hmm. He's Rabbi Eleazar Jose the Galilean. Hmm. He wrote 32 rules of interpreting scripture. And rule number 30 is a very important rule. It's the rule called the notarcreon. And the notarcreon is a method of word studies where you divide the word in half and you can receive an interpretation also from the prefix and the suffix. He is also the um, one of the hermeneutical rules is the rules of gamatria, which sometimes we say you can you can use the letters, and the letters also are numbers in Hebrew, so you can get a numerical value, but we're not going there. But what we want to share with is that when you split the word in its prefix and its suffix, in the phonetic, in a phonetic sound, another word that has the same sound is often related. You can get a deeper understanding. So we have the word mishkan, don't we, for tabernacle? What word sounds like Mishkan? We have another word called the Shemen Hamishka. Set with me. Shemen, Shemen. Hamishka. Hamishka. Shemen is oil, and Mishka is the anointing. Say it with me. Oil of the anointing. Say it. Oil of the anointing. Shemen Hamishka. Say it. Shemen Hamishka in the Mishkan. Shemen Hamishka. So it tells us that the world of the Mishkan is the world of the Shemen Hamishka. It is the world of the anointing. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Okay. Why is that important? It's important because everything that is in the tabernacle has supernatural significance. 
Now we're looking at verse 9. And it says, going back, According to all that I show you, Moses went up to the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights fasting and was given the blueprint of the tabernacle. According to all that I show you, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the instruments. This word pattern is the word tabneeth in Hebrew. It means that the word tabneeth means that it's a model, a resemblance, or a similitude of something. So the design of the tabernacle is not just something innovated that is an original. It's not an original design in the sense that it's an entity of something all on itself. No, it's a tabneeth meaning it's a similitude of something else. Say it with me. It's a similitude of something else. Oh, my goodness. It's a similitude of something else. Oh, my. What is it a similitude of? Look at this word after. Let's go back. Looking. According to all that I show you, after the pattern after the tabneet of the Mishkan, after the pattern of the tabernacle. This word after in most of your Bibles is actually in italics. Do you know why? Because it's really not a word. It is a grammatical, it is a grammatical tool that was placed there. And this grammatical tool is the most unsolved mystery of the Bible because it appears over 9,000 times in the Hebrew scriptures. Hmm. Somebody said, say, hmm. 9,000 times. It's not a word. It's used for punctuation. But it's unsolvable because it's untranslatable. It appears in Genesis, in the creation story. In Genesis 1-1, it appears twice. And now, after the pattern, hmm. So meaning that this little word after, which is actually a grammatical punctuation, untranslatable word that is found here is what everything is going to be patterned after. What is it? It is two letters, Aleph and Tav. Set with me. Aleph and Tav. That means everything in the tabernacle is going to have the similitude of Aleph and Tav. Oh, I'm going somewhere with this. That means that everything is a distinct design and it is created to express the similitude of what Aleph and Tav is. Some people say, what in the world is Aleph and Tav, Dr. Corral? First of all, Aleph, let me explain it to you before I explain what it actually is. Okay, the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. The first letter is Aleph, the last letter is Tav. Remember, everything is concept, isn't it? So even the first letter is a concept, the last letter is a concept, the first letter is Aleph. But guess what? 
The concept of Aleph is before the beginning. Say it with me. The concept of Aleph is before the beginning. Why? Because the Bible doesn't begin with Aleph. The Bible begins with bet, or the second letter, that is bereshit, in the beginning, bereshit bara. So we have to see, in the beginning, bereshit bara Elohim, in the beginning, God. So we have the, in, the beginning, in the, is just in English ad, addition, but it says bereshit bara Elohim. All right, et shamayan. In other words, it says, Bereshit bara Aleph Tav Shemayan. Yeah. And then the Bible says, Aleph Tav, the audits, ha audits. So we see Aleph Tav, ha Shemayan, and Aleph Tav, ha audits. What does that mean? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We all know that because we read it in English. But in Hebrew, there's this little untranslatable Aleph Tob again. We have it over 9,000 times. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. So it's very spiritually significant that we understand the concepts behind it. The concept of Aleph is before the beginning. The concept of Tob is it never ends. So now we have this concept. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. So let us go to the book of Revelation. And we're going to go to Revelation chapter 22. And we're going to look at verse 13. I will tell you what Aleph and Tav is. We're looking at Revelation chapter 22, verse 13. This is one of the passages of Aleph Tav. However, we have Alpha and Omega. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Do you think that Jesus spoke Greek to John? The answer to that is no. It's translated in Greek, but when Jesus appeared to John on the island of Patmos. John's native language was not Greek. He was a Kadosh Jew from Bethsaida, Israel. His native language was not Greek. We have no evidence that the Lord ever spoke Greek at all. As a matter of fact, he spoke Aramaic and Hebrew. So when Jesus told John, I am Alpha and Omega, the equivalent in Hebrew to Alpha and Omega, because Alpha is the beginning of the Greek alphabet and Omega is the end of the Greek alphabet. So we translate it into Hebrew. I am Aleph and I am Tob. I am the beginning and I am the end. Do you see this? Let's look and see the eternal value of this. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41, and I believe it's in verse 6. I'm going to do these from memory, so you'll have to help me here. Isaiah 41, verse 6. And is this Isaiah 41? Oh, Isaiah, excuse me, Isaiah 44, verse 6. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Okay, Isaiah 44, verse 6. And here we see uh, verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. 
I am the first and I am the last. Beside me, there is no other God. Do you see that? If you do, say amen. All right, so we have <clears throat> this powerful passage from Isaiah 44, verse 6. Let's look at one more passage found in Isaiah, and let's look, beloved saints, at Isaiah 46, and we are going to see... And Isaiah 46, we're seeing in verse 9, I am God, and beside me there is no other. And looking, if you will, um, let's look at Isaiah 48, 12. Hearken unto me, O Jacob, and Israel my called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. Say with me, I am the first and I am the last. So here we have beloved saints, Jesus, who calls himself the first and the last. Say this with me, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Okay, so when you're saying I am Aleph and I am Tav, what is he saying? Anohi va Aleph. Vatav. I am the I am the Aleph and I am the Tav. Then he says, I am the beginning and the end. I am the Rosh, the first and the last. The Rosh Vashov. So here we understand that he is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So what is he saying? He is saying that he is before the beginning. He is the eternal one. He is the one who has no beginning and the one who has no end. So that when we understand that the sign that is going to be the similitude in the tabernacle is going to be a sign of Yeshua HaMashiach, that everything in the tabernacle must reflect him in order to bring heaven down to earth. Okay. I'm going to give you a little, I didn't, I didn't tell you this before, but I'm going to tell you now. Okay, Google search ancient Hebrew, biblical ancient Hebrew, and look up the Aleph and put it on the screen. Okay, the, the Aleph that you see today is not the Aleph of biblical times, okay? The ancient biblical Aleph has a very unique design behind it. And I want you to see the design of the Aleph and the design of the Tav, very important. So we see this ancient biblical sign, it's the face of an ox. So if you can get that face of the ox up, this is the way that ancient biblical, ancient biblical Aleph looked. Okay, so we're gonna wait for that. Uh, I want you to see it because when you see the shape of the Aleph and you see that it represents Jesus, you are going to see the Aleph looks like an ox in the shape of the ancient biblical Hebrew and the Tav is a cross. Okay? So the Tav is a cross 
and the aleph is an ox. Why is it an ox? Because the ox was the burnt offering. The ox was the offering. And on the day of atonement, an ox and a bullock are the same. That you must understand that the bullock that was offered for the sins of the priest was offered as a bullock. That Jesus Christ, hallelujah. There we go. Okay, here we go. Just leave that there. See this? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. See that? Yeah. I am Aleph. I am Aleph. The even the letter was designed to preach the gospel. That even the letters proclaim who he is because he is the eternal word. Okay, let's keep it there. Notice the top. The he ancient Hebrew, the top is what? Cross. See that? Yeah. The cross. I am Aleph and I am Tob. I am that I am. And everything in the tabernacle is going to have the similitude of the Aleph and the Tob. Can somebody give God the praise and give God the glory? Do you see this? If you do, say amen. Okay, let me give you some examples so you can see it, okay? Would you like to see? Okay, let's see one or two examples of how everything in the tabernacle represents atonement and the cross. Say it with me, atonement and the cross. Do you know why it had to represent atonement in the cross? Because nothing else could bring the heaven down to earth. God had to see the sacrifice in similitude form for glory to come down to earth. There is no way that the heavenly powers of God can come down to earth without the cross. Okay. So let's go ahead. Thank you, brethren, so much. What a blessing. Now, let's go to Exodus chapter 25. I'm going to take this a bit out of context, but I want to show you. Exodus 25. Let's look at how God is commanding the menorah to be made. Exodus chapter 25. If you have it, say amen. amen. Exodus chapter 25. And we are looking at verse 31. Exodus 25, and looking at verse 31, and we are going to go down to verse, let's go down to verse 37. 31 through 37. I'm going to ask Rev. Kev to read seven verses of scripture, just because I'm going to explain it to you how it reveals the cross of Calvary. How many want to see the cross in the menorah? Okay. See, anything that had that brought the presence of God down, the cross has to be revealed. Okay, go ahead. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten wood shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branch. Notice, wait a minute. This is making the menorah, which is the candlestick, calling the pipes. Zechariah calls them pipes, okay? The, the lamps that are lit 
Here they're not called lamps and they're not called pipes. What are they called? What are they called? Branches. We just saw it. This doesn't show it, so let's go back so we can see branches. So everybody can see in verse 32, which he just read. Branches. Go back, okay? Six branches. See these branches? Why is branches being used? You're going to see branches continually being used instead of the pipes or instead of, can't they just say lamp, lamp, the lamps themselves? Zechariah uses the word pipes, but Moses is using the word branches. Number one, the branch is the name for the Messiah from Jeremiah, from Zechariah. We find the branch is used all throughout the scriptures, but branches come from where? Trees, don't they? So the menorah is designed to look like a a tree. Say it with me. The menorah is designed to look like a tree. It has the similitude of elephant hob on it. Why? Because Jesus died on a tree. Yes, God. Hallelujah. All right. Notice, six branches shall come out of the sides and six branches on the other side going, continuing. Um, let us just continue. Um Continue to the verses, verse 33. Notice, let's go to verse 34. Um, just the design of it, go to verse 36. Notice, in verse 36, it shall be a work. Verse 36 is what we want. Someone read that. Go ahead, Rev Kev. Their knobs and their branches shall be the same. All it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. Okay, wait, wait. What? How do you make it? A beaten work of pure gold. Okay, how do you make it? Beaten work of pure gold. We don't have any other place that any of the designs of anything in the tabernacle is beaten gold. We just have pure gold. This had to be hammered. The tree had to be hammered. Say it with me. The tree had to be hammered. It had to be a similitude. Say it with me. It's a tabneet. It's a similitude. It had to be hammered. The tree had to be hammered. Say this with me. The branches had to be a hammered work. The whole menorah had to be a hammered work. God had to see it hammered because it was a similitude of the aleph and the top. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Now, I'm going to close with this before we pray for you. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 1. Hmm. The, what does the glory look like? What do we see in the glory of God? In Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel is going to see this vision by the river Habar. All right? Um, read, as we are going to Ezekiel 1, uh, Rev. Gregory, read Psalm 137. As we are going to Ezekiel 1. Psalm 137 matches 
the time of Ezekiel 1. Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there was a, there we sat down, yea, we wept. When we remembered Zion, we hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing? The Lord's song is a strange land. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the love of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy, remember, O Lord, the children of Edom. Okay, good. Notice, beginning in verse 1. Verse 1, by the rivers of Babylon we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. Verse 2, we hanged up our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. Verse 3, for there they that carried us away required us ca captive, required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us myrrh. And saying, sing one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the song of the Lord in a strange land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember you, then let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, for I prefer, if I prefer not Jerusalem to my chief joy. Very good. What would happen is the captives would go down to the river every night when the sun would set. At the time of the evening sacrifice, because Jerusalem is no more, they have no way to sacrifice, there is no more temple. They are captives in Babylon. So they go to the river because something is going to happen at the river. The sun, when it sets, is going to reflect off the river. And it's going to remind them of the sunset in Jerusalem. When the temple was standing, because the doors were pure gold, the doors that led into the Mikdash were pure solid gold, many cubits high, so that when the sun set, the rays of the sun burst off the doors, and Jerusalem became a city golden. And so therefore, the closest connection in captivity they could have would be to go to the river at the time of the evening sacrifice and weep and mourn and remember Zion, remember the temple that was destroyed, and now they are captives in a land. This is the introduction to Ezekiel 1. Ezekiel 1, please let us see. The Bible says in Ezekiel 1, 1, let us read it. Look at it in your word. Go ahead, Rev. Kev, read Ezekiel 1, 1. Perfect. Now it came, now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, 
on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kabbalah, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Uzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kabbalah. And the hand of the Lord was there upon him. And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof as the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and every one had four faces, and every one had four wings, and their feet were straight feet, and their sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. And they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides, and they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another, they turned not when they went. They went everyone straight forward as for the likeness of their faces. Now wait, the likeness of their faces. Looking, everyone had the face of a man, the face of a lion on the right side. The face, continue, the face of the lion, the face of an ox, and they also had the face of an eagle, four, four faces, the face of a man, the face of an ox, the face of a lion, and the face of an eagle. Hmm. Number one, who is the man? The man is the son of God, who is true God and true man. The face of the ox is he is the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the end and the eternal sacrifice. The face of the lion is he is the lion of Judah. He is the lion of Judah. The face of an eagle. Stop right there. Face of an eagle. The face of an eagle. Eagle is a non-kosher animal. It's unclean. It's a bird of prey. How can an angel have the reflection of an eagle? An eagle is a forbidden type of animal in the sense that the Bible uses it to mount up as wings as eagles, but Eagles, by nature, are non-kosher. Hmm, why does one reflect an eagle? Because the Bible is going to give us a time frame. The Bible is going to say you cannot mistake any other Messiah. The Bible is going to tell us no other person can ever fit this design. Because in the time of the Romans... The Roman symbol was the eagle. Any sign you look at, you will see the Romans 
across the Caesar symbol is the eagle. So therefore, we understand that these angels that are coming down are actually showing us what the atonement is going to be for the city of Jerusalem. A man who is from the tribe of Judah, who is going to be an offering in the time of the Romans. Do you understand the word of God? Say this with me, the perfect atonement, the perfect sacrifice. Now I want you to know that Jesus Christ is not only the sacrifice for Jerusalem, but you are spiritual Jerusalem. His blood also atoned for you. So that means every ruin in your life will be rebuilt by his blood. Today is a day of divine reversal. Today is a day of taking back territory. Today is a day that the blood of Jesus Jesus is coming down and cleansing us. It is a day we get the fire back. It is a day we get the glory back. It is a day we get the supernatural back through the blood of Yeshua HaMashiach. And somebody ought to give him praise today. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, you are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.